Welcome to Sister Scriptorians, where we are devoted to learning, likening, and lifting others one principle at a time. Episode 72, Is This the Man? Hello! Welcome to another week of the Sister Scriptorians podcast. I'm excited to be here with you. I want to thank those who have taken the time to give this podcast a review or a rating. Remember, our goal by the end of this year, by January 2020, is to have 100 ratings. And it's totally doable if you help us out. I'm talking to you. I need you. You are very important, and I need you to help give us a rating. So find where those stars are and click on the stars. The more, the merrier. Reviews are awesome, too. That's more rewarding for me because it gives me an opportunity to connect with you and to, I don't know, it's kind of like my payday to hear that you're receiving these episodes well. But the ratings help the podcast be able to come up in the search engines of iTunes. So our goal, 100 ratings. We can do it. So today's chapter is 2 Nephi chapter 24. And truthfully, <laughs> what was registering for me, what, was, what my mind was picking up on and understanding was really more of the same of which I've already covered in the past few weeks. And now that's not to say that This chapter doesn't contain rich nuggets of doctrine and revelation about the second coming. It's only to say that I wasn't picking up on it this go around. And that happens. It's one of the reasons why we need to continue to read the Book of Mormon all of our lives so that we can pick up on nuggets that we missed the other times we read. But contained in verses 12 through 17 and also spilling into verses 18 to 20, There was some direction by Isaiah that really got my mind going. And again, before I get into that, I want to remind you of the dualism of Isaiah's writings. And the footnote in verse 12 does that for us. It reminds us that again, Isaiah is referring both to the king of Babylon who's going to fall, who is typified in these verses to the fallen son of the morning, who we know as Lucifer, or Satan, the adversary. And because the king of Babylon has already fallen, it's 2019, he fell a long time ago, I personally am, at this moment in time, I'm more interested in these verses, how they relate to Lucifer. Isaiah writes, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? Art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? Sister Scriptorians, there's going to become a time When life is going to slow down, when our vision will become very clear because the veil of forgetfulness will be removed, and we will see our adversary for who he truly is, and we'll see him and how much destruction and weakening amongst us he truly did, how much destruction and weakening we allowed him to do amongst us. Fortunately for us, We have scripture that reminds us of an experience we all were a part of, but had removed from our minds when we came to earth, and it occurred in the pre-existence. There Lucifer, which, by the way, 
The scriptures rarely use his name, but here in Isaiah's poetic writings, we're given it. Lucifer said in his heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation on, in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Moses gave us similar insights into Lucifer and the event Isaiah is referring to when he recorded, And I, the Lord God, spake unto Moses, saying, That Satan whom thou hast commanded in the name of mine only begotten is the same which was from the beginning. And he came before me, saying, Behold, here am I, send me. I will be thy son, and I will redeem all mankind, that one soul shall not be lost, and surely I will do it. Wherefore give me thine honor. God continued to tutor Moses about this most important event. Because Satan rebelled against God, and because his desires was to destroy our agency, yours and mine, and because he sought after God's power for himself, by the power of God's only begotten, God caused that Satan should be cast down. And after this, he became the devil, the father of all lies, to deceive and to blind men and to lead them captive at his will, even as many as would not hearken unto God's voice. And therefore, he wrecks havoc for us on earth today. He is the opposition to all of God's characteristics, his commandments, and his blessings. He is our distraction and our deception. And though it doesn't feel like it right now, Satan's antics will not go unstopped nor unpunished. Satan may have aspired, in his demented way, to be like the Most High, seeking God's power. But, Isaiah records, Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. And it is there that we're going to have a chance to see him for who he truly is. Isaiah writes in verse 16, They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and shall consider thee, and shall say, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms? Now I know that there are probably different ways to read this and interpret this verse. Emphasis on various words and inflection in our voice can change the meaning of a phrase. We all know that. And someone who's more scholarly than me may have a different opinion than I. But as I read this verse, this is what is brought to my mind. Imagine standing there. Satan has been leashed. He is no longer the threat that he has been all of your life. There is no longer a need to fear him. And there you stand looking upon him. And your eyes narrow as you gaze upon him. You ask yourself, what's so great about him? Why, he doesn't even look very impressive. He doesn't look very powerful. I mean, come on. He doesn't even have a body. Frankly, you expected more from something that caused so much pain and destruction among the children of men. You expected to wither in his presence 
to feel his overwhelming power, to be afraid of something that you were told all your life to be careful of and to avoid. But there you are, standing, untouched. You're unfazed, and you're narrowly looking upon him, considering him. Is this the man that made the earth to tremble? Is this the man that did shake kingdoms? After being impressed with the glory of Jesus Christ, I don't think that there will be much to be impressed about as we gaze upon Lucifer. And that is the message I took away from Isaiah this week. I think we may question, why did he have so much power over me? Why was I afraid of him? He's nothing compared to my Savior. Why was so much time wasted on this being when I, who have a body, who has a Savior that has atoned for my wrongs, he's got my back, who offers his mercy and grace, his enabling power to make me more than I currently am if I just follow him. Where I have been given a member of the Godhead, to always be with me, where we have been blessed with priesthood power and been given commandments to learn how to bridle our passions and to learn to be stewards of ourselves. Why did we ever fear him or really even give him a second thought? It's the veil of forgetfulness that really has made this all even possible. Because without it, I don't even think that life would have been much of a challenge for us. We would have remembered him. We would have known how powerful we are and what we're doing and whose we are and whose we follow and whose power was able to cast him out. That veil of forgetfulness is probably what has made mortality the journey it needed to be. Because as I read, especially verse 16, I imagine we're all going to be highly unimpressed. We will already have gazed upon the glory of the King of glory. And every knee will have already bowed and every tongue will have declared him as our Lord. And the comparison to Lucifer will be staggering, I imagine. Again, I believe we will be perplexed as to how it was possible for us to have given him the power of influence that he did have in our lives. The fear we had of him, the doubt we allowed him to create in ourselves, the fact that we even believed there was a choice to be made between him and the King of Kings, our Lord, our Rock, the Jehovah, I think it will become apparent to us the significance of our choice to come to earth and to obtain a body. This choice or this gift we have taken for granted, really, most of our life will be enriched within our minds as we gaze upon him who has not one. His attacks are always against what he does not have, a body. It's the power he lacks. It's the power that we have. 
and he manipulates our use and perception of our power, our body, to take us away from the path of righteousness. Unfortunately, this past month, the month of August, along with the new era and the friend, the ensign focused on our bodies, which has given more fuel to this fire that's been growing inside of me. And I encourage you to give them a read. Now, truthfully, I focused my attention more on the new era. Working with the young women as I do, my interest was piqued as to what counsel and doctrine our leaders desired our youth to understand. And it was President Russell M. Nelson who pointed out to us the truth that our bodies allow each of us to experience the great plan of salvation that he, our Heavenly Father, has designed for all of his precious children. Think about that. Think and appreciate all that you have accomplished because you have been given a body. It has permitted you to participate in the plan of salvation, the plan to deliver you from sin and its consequences. This is so huge. Why? Because these bodies that were made in God's image, making us more like him, are helping our spirits to achieve what our spirits would literally be incapable of accomplishing without our body. President Nelson says that our bodies aid in the development of our spirit. The attributes by which we shall be judged one day are those of the spirit. These include the attributes of virtue, integrity, compassion, love, and more. Did you notice he didn't say we're going to be judged of how our body looks? And let me even expound more upon what the word more in President Nelson's words represent. It represents attributes like faith and knowledge, temperance, patience, brotherly kindness, godliness, charity, humility, diligence, and and so much more. President Nelson goes on to say that your spirit, by being housed in your body, is able to develop and express these attributes in ways that are vital to your eternal progression. The combination of your spirit with a body allows your spirit to do its most holy work. It now makes more sense to me with this added insight of why the body is referred to as a temple. The body is a temple where salvation and the work of immortality is taking place inside of it. Your spirit is hard at work, developing into its potential, what it is designed to become, what it can only become with a body. And I want you to think of everything that you have accomplished in developing Christ-like attributes or virtues. And don't you be hard on yourself. (laughs) My intention right now is to have a real chat about the magnificence you are currently developing. And I ask you to tell Satan to take a hike for a few moments so that he doesn't interfere with our conversation. Now take any of the attributes, compassion, love, mercy, patience, whichever. Perfection may not 
have been achieved yet in any of them. I don't know if it can be in this lifetime. Mortality is just a step in our progression. We must have progressed in some way in the pre-existence. We are learning and progressing here. But I know that I'm not going to be ready for all that God has to offer me when I'm done here. So there must be knowledge and progression that will take place in the next stage when my body will be resurrected and be even more like Father's than it is now. And that feels true to me. Yet Satan tries to discourage me. And he tries to discourage you in our progress when we become perfectionistic or scared that we are lagging behind or we're failing at developing these attributes. For example, take patience. (laughs) The one we all joke about that we don't have. The one we're all scared to pray for because of what might happen, what might be brought into our life in order for us to develop patience. I have seen noble individuals, both one-on-one with them or over the pulpit, grieving because they lack patience, or so they tell themselves. The definition of patience found in the Preach My Gospel is that patience is the capacity to endure delay, trouble, opposition, or suffering without becoming angry, frustrated, or anxious. It is the ability to do God's will and to accept His timing. When you are patient, you hold up under pressure and are able to face adversity calmly and hopefully. Now, (laughs) what our brain likes to do is it likes to go to our most difficult circumstance, recall how we poorly acted, and then chastise us for lacking the patience that a perfect being would have had. What we don't see and what we don't acknowledge is the patience that we did exercise in that moment, before that moment, or soon after that moment. What we don't acknowledge and find gratitude in is patience can mean calm endurance, long-suffering, to endure affliction or insult or to endure injury without complaint or retaliation. Patience can be merciful, slow to anger, faithful, hopeful that things will improve and work out. It can be peace. It can be virtue or strength received. It can be charity, compassion, non-judgment, steadiness, courage, and firmness during tribulation. It can even be the hope you exercise when you don't feel merciful, but you do your best to choose mercy. When you feel anger rise up, And yet, you take on the work to temper it. It can be when you desire peace and seek for peace, even though inside you hurt, you feel turmoil. And it can be stopping criticism or not acting upon it because you are open to figuring out a way to be compassionate, to figuring out a way to not be judgmental. And to be steady and courageous and firm during tribulation. You may not always feel patient, but the work you do in redirecting your thoughts 
and your actions that you take are pointing you in the direction of patience. And you need a body to do all of that. And you can't tell me that you in some degree do not possess patience. Your brain, I know, it wants to remember all those dreadful moments when you lost it. But is your brain recalling when you repented? When you soothed your fears and you got back to enduring, long-suffering, mercy, and love? Satan would have you forget all of your progress. He would have you at a loss at how to measure your progress. But boy, he would fully help you recall your blunders and then quickly define yourself from them. Don't do it. Don't spend your time hating your body, which then distracts you from all this important work of developing Christ-like attributes. Don't spend time hating your body when you can spend time having compassion for your body, having love for your body, gratitude that you do have a body, a temple to do this work within. Sister Scriptorians, I think we underestimate the atonement and how it continually renews us when we repent and partake of the sacrament. Not to make light of it, but I don't think we comprehend the shedding of the old that the atonement does for us to make room for the new. The layer upon layer of fortification it covers us with. The allowance of God's touch to be upon us as often as we choose it to be. And how beautiful it is making us. I think we can do better to capture the vision of the power given to each one of us who are engaged in God's plan of salvation. Because when we will be given a chance to gaze upon Lucifer and his pathetic plight on the side of the pit, having not received ever the sanctification and the renewal, the virtue and the cleansing that comes through the atonement of Jesus Christ, that we get to participate in, that it is truly doing its work upon us and within us, we are going to see how pitiful Lucifer truly is. In this one moment, comparison won't be the thief of joy. It will be then that we will finally see the strength or virtue that each of our painful moments when we repented and chose better will have provided for us. It is then that we will see it. We won't need to have faith anymore that it is working in our behalf, but we will see it as we narrowly gaze upon he who chose to do without it. Sister Scriptorians, I encourage you to begin a regiment of loving your body, to set aside all the time and energy you use to criticize it and to be ashamed of it, and instead you appreciate it and honor it for what it is permitting you to accomplish. Because of your body, you can love, you can learn to temper yourself, you can rejoice and soothe, you can be patient, you can feel and press forward, you can serve, and you can repent. Have a good day.